God's always had a huge role in all of my change. Um, for me, because I seek that. I think that you can actually obviously make changes without God, but I think that when you include God in the picture, then you make the right changes. Welcome to Stories of Hope in Hard Times, the show that explores how people endure and even thrive in difficult times, all with God's help. I'm your host, Tamara K. Anderson. Join me on a journey to find inspiring stories of hope and wisdom learned in life's hardest moments. Before we jump into today's interview with our guest, I have to share some awesome news, and that is that today's episode is my 50th episode of the Stories of Hope and Hard Times podcast. Yay! So celebrate with me today by listening to my 50th episode. My guest today is an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of the book, Will Power Doesn't Work. From 2015 to 2018, he was the number one writer in the world on Medium.com. During that time, he grew his email list from zero to 400,000 without having paid advertising. He and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children from the foster care system in February of 2018. And one month later, Lauren got pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. They live in Orlando, Florida. His blogs are read by millions every month. I am pleased to present Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Ben, are you ready to share your story of hope? I think so. I'll do my best. Awesome. So I am so excited to have Ben on my show. Ben and I met a couple of years ago at a training with Richard Paul Evans. In fact, Ben helped do some of the training that day. And Ben's concepts have just blown my mind. I was able to be part of his AMP group, Accelerated Momentum, and it was absolutely fantastic. So this man knows what he's talking about, and I just feel so honored to have him on my podcast today and have him share his story with you because it's powerful. It's a story of hope. Well, I'm happy to be on your show, and I'm happy to be with you. (laughs) I'm a big (laughs) fan of you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. So... Ben has a book releasing next week called Personality Isn't Permanent, and I'm lucky enough to have been able to read an advanced copy, and it is such a powerful book. If I had to pause and say something about this book, I would say this book is a story about hope. It, it teaches you that you, first of all, you can change who you are. And second of all, it teaches you that the trauma that you've been through in your life is something that you can reframe and change so that you look more at the lessons and who you've become because of it instead of saying stuck. And so to me, that is just such a powerful, oh, the book is fantastic. You got to go order it. Um, But Ben, let's talk a little bit about your book through your story, because in the introduction of your book, you say this, you say, the biggest evidence of the ideas in this book is my own life. So let's go back to your formulative years, I guess we should say, and talk about your life at home and what that looked like. Yeah, definitely. And I'm so glad you liked the book. Um, 
it was a labor of love. Let's just say that, or a labor of pain. Um, <laughs> it was a hard book to write. It took a long time, but I'm grateful it's out and I'm glad that you like it. Um, yeah, so I think the biggest challenge or the first major challenge, I guess you could say that I faced in my life was my parents' divorce at age 11. That was the biggie. Um, divorce can be hard for any kid. I was the oldest of three. We, we were in actually a very religious family and uh, faith in God was a big part of my life. And what was interesting was, is when, when the divorce happened, it was like religion or faith just stopped being a part of our life, period. Wow. Um, both of my parents stopped going to church, um, both engaged in radically different habits than we were living right before. It was really interesting for me to observe because I was very much, even though I was only 11 years old, it was very much a big part of my life. Um, the depression that ultimately led my father, you know, it, it was such an impact for him, the divorce. It was not what he was expecting. It was not what he was wanting. Uh, it ultimately led him to be, you know, it was the triggering point or the tipping point that led him down a very big path of addiction. He ended up basically going just deep into the drug world. <laughs> mm -hmm. And his home became kind of a really dangerous place. Although me and my younger brothers, we were there even with our friends playing video games and stuff like that. And there was just wild, strange people there. Um, and that was kind of a crazy period of my life for basically from age 11 onward until about age 20 and at age you know after I don't know how honestly looking back no clue how I graduated high school no clue because I barely went um I still have no clue how I graduated high school to be honest <laughs> with you like I didn't do any homework I mean um but I barely graduated high school and after high school I ended up living at my cousin's house playing video games all day I attempted community college but just dropped out fast because I had zero work ethic and zero purpose and was basically just doing nothing with my life. Very sad, very purposeless, very confused. And without purpose, obviously, it's very difficult to to find much meaning in your life. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, that's a big, a big, obviously a big message in the book is that your purpose should be the thing shaping who you are. But I ended up wanting a fresh start. I ended up wanting to start over and I didn't like what was all around me. So I felt like I needed to do something new. So I ended up going and serving a church mission, you know, for two years. And that was the big thing for me was in all of the trauma and all of the craziness of all of my formative years is not what led me to psychology. What led me to it actually was this church mission, because when I got on that mission, I was in a new environment. I had a new role. I had a purpose and I had a fresh start and I was able to, and obviously there's a lot of transformation that came through God. Um, but also I had great leaders. I was having amazing new experiences I was seeing things from a fresh perspective. I was reading all sorts of good books. I was journaling. I mean, it was just the most amazing intervention for my life. And I changed so much during that experience that I was blown away. And I was reading such good books and I was just, I was just free. I was becoming a free human being, free from my past, um, free from constraint. And I was able to kind of watch myself grow, evolve, become confident, become a leader, uh, develop a lot of faith, confidence, courage, learning, skill. Just, I mean, it was just such an amazing experience. And what was really, in, so it was during that experience that I decided I wanted to be a writer. I didn't know I was going to actually be a psychologist, but I was interested in becoming a writer through that experience. When I went home, one of the things that was interesting to me was, and by the way, I would love to just quickly note that during, while I was gone on that mission experience, my father actually did overcome all of his addictions. Um, wow. He actually, yeah, he did. And he even, um, you know, we, he and I became 
we reacquainted right before I left and he ended up re like recapturing his own faith and, you know, overcoming a lot of his challenges and cleaned up his life. And, you know, he even spent some time as an addiction recovery kind of support guy. So he supported wow. people. So, and he and I, when I got home from my mission, we were really good friends and, uh, work out, we worked out together and stuff. And, you know, he's changed a lot. I've changed a lot. And uh, I've learned a lot from him. And so it's really, it's amazing. And I don't have negative feelings. And actually, one of the things that I did do, just as a side note, was is I spent a lot of time asking my father about the situation, you know, about the past, about what happened. And I learned a lot of things that I never knew about my dad. I learned about a lot of the traumas from his, you know, childhood. I learned a lot, a lot about the things that led him to making the decisions he made. And when you actually have more understanding and more context, you have a lot more empathy a lot more understanding and less judgment. And, and, and so I, I understand where he's coming from and I don't necessarily have, I have zero negative feelings towards that. In fact, I view all of those experiences as very incredible. Uh, I'm very glad I went through them because if I hadn't gone through those, I wouldn't have had the, the resilience and I wouldn't have had the faith. I wouldn't have had the ability to deal with a lot of the things that I now choose to deal with. Um, so anyways, yeah. But what was interesting kind of when I did come home from that experience was that all of my friends and family, they kind of saw me as the same person I was before I left. Like that was kind of very surprising to me. Like they would talk to me the same way. A lot of my friends used vulgar language, just as an example, because we spoke that way in high school. And like, I was very sensitive just to that, just as an example, because I'd just been serving like a mission for two years and was not around that. And all of a sudden, like, they're just talking to me as if none of that, it was just really interesting, you know? As if you hadn't changed. Well, because I couldn't see it. You know, we, we see, we, it's, it's, if you're not mindful, you don't see the change that are happening, that you don't see the change happening in those around you. I mean, that can be very easy with your kids, as an example, it can be easy to think that people are the same person that they still are. And I had gone through a radical experience for two years. And so I was totally different. And, and obviously it quickly became apparent that I had changed, but for a while they just thought I was the same guy and that things were the same as they were. And I didn't want that. And I knew that I would quickly revert if I stayed in that environment. So then I decided to go to a different college from all my friends and then I began studying psychology and essentially for the last 10 years, cause I got home about 10 years ago for the last 10 years, just been just studying, learning, you know, ultimately getting married, having five kids and just writing and now just continuing to learn and read and kind of just be blown away by life. Wow. You have such an incredible story because you changed so completely. I mean, you really oh, yeah. did. Yeah. Um, you mention in your book that a lot of this change occurred on your mission. So I guess I'd love to ask, how did, what role did God play in that transformation? And how did he help you, I guess, process all the trauma that you'd had earlier in your life. Yeah. Uh, one thing I will say, so I did come, I did go through a radical transformation during that experience, but I will say that the person I am today is actually not the same person I was when I got from that experience. I've actually changed a lot since then as well. Um, but that was the thing that re totally refocused my path. Um, and, and allowed me on a path towards growth and development versus just sitting and staring uh, I was, God, God's always had a huge role in all of my change. Um, for me, cause I seek that. I think that you can actually obviously make changes without God, but I think that when you include God into the picture, then you make the right changes. Uh, and also mm -hmm. 
your change becomes a lot more enabled. You know, you, you can, you can do amazing things with God's help. He's, I, to me, cause I, I love science and I love just knowledge and learning, but to me, I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to include God in that. You know, to me, I don't see them as mutually exclusive. Like why wouldn't you want God's help in your goals or in your growth or in your learning? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think that God gives you a lot of help in, in seeing things from different views, from being grateful, from forgiving, um, for having a new heart, for having a new perspective. You know, he can even give you, you know, if you can pray in faith to, to develop skills, to gain gifts. I mean, I, I was never a good, you know, a learner or a teacher before, but I sought those skills. And I think you can develop skills with God's help. I mean, you can develop skills without them, but with God's help, you can develop them in far more beautiful ways. And so I've always included God in my process. I mean, even writing blog posts and writing this book, you know, personality isn't permanent. I mean, I've prayed every time before I wrote that book, you know, and just asked for help, you know? And so um, I think that God can give you, you know, lots of help in all that you're doing and he can help you develop skills and abilities and even, you know, characteristics that you may not currently have. You know, what's interesting is in your book, you mention desire, and that that is one of the key things to really changing. And I have noticed that in my own change and as I process things with God is that sometimes I know I need to, for example, forgive someone, but I have no desire to forgive them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and so I actually have to pray that God will bless me with the desire to forgive them. <laughs> but he does, you know, it's amazing. Or I feel like, for example, when I knew I needed to write my book and I was really scared to put myself out there that way because it was such a personal story. Oh, yeah. Your story is that I just felt, I felt really scared to do that. And so I had to pray for the desire to write the book. And so sometimes I think God because desire is such an important part of change, as you mentioned in this book, I think God can be a great enabler, as you, as you just explained, in helping I us think so. shift our desires from, I don't want to do that, to, even though I know I need to, to, okay, he kind of, he does, he changes our hearts. I guess that's the best way to explain it, right? <laughs> I love it. I mean, one thing that's interesting about personality, one of the ways that people often conceptualize personality is, is that it's your preference. You know, like, for example, if you view yourself as an introvert, it's obviously you, you can go speak to people, but you have the preference to be by yourself, you know? So, so, you know, and it's not just about introversion, extroversion. It's about just anything. You may have the preference to eat cookies for breakfast. I mean, whatever your habits are, we have preferences, you know what I mean? Yes. And, and we have, we have preferences and priorities and just because something is a preference or just because you want to do something doesn't mean it's actually what you should be doing or could mm. be doing. Um, you know, and it's interesting if you think about who you once were, you know, there's things that you once thought you enjoyed, or there's things that you, there's things that you once preferred that you no longer prefer. There's things that once were goals to you, or there's things that used to matter to you that no longer do. And so your current self prefers things and has different priorities and different perspectives and different goals and situations that your former self simply didn't have. Um, and so like, and there's also things that your current self doesn't tolerate and you just don't deal with anymore that your, that your former self used to just be fine dealing with, you know, you used to, yeah. you used to say yes to things that now you say, I'm not going to even handle that. I just don't even, I don't want to go there anymore. But the thing is also true about your future self. There are things that your future self prefers that you don't prefer, you know? And actually this is where 
and actually some of your current preferences are actually the things stopping you from becoming your future self. And so there's a lot of good research now on future self and about how that shapes your decision-making. And basically the idea is, is that if you don't have a clear future self, a person you want to be, and that person is someone you choose to be. It's someone you decide to be. It's like, if you want to be a writer or if you want to be, you know, better with your kids, you choose that future self. It's what you want. It's who, it's who you want to be, but it's, but you don't, but admittedly it's one of those things where it's like, you want to want it. You know what I mean? Because you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you want to want to write as an example, but when it comes to decision-making, you actually can't make quality decisions today if you don't know who your future self is. Because if you don't know who you want to be, then it does not matter who you are today, right? It doesn't matter what you do today. Like you could do essentially anything because there's no direction or no, no, no future. <laughs> yeah. And so it's actually impossible to be present without a future, as weird as that sounds. You know, one of the quotes that I latched onto very early on in your book is one where you said, research shows you cannot have hope without a goal. And hope is something we look forward to in that future, you know? And I thought that was fascinating. We can't have hope without a goal. We can't have hope if we can't picture that future. And I know that oftentimes, and this is true with my story, and I'm sure it's true with your story as well, trauma can prevent us from seeing the future, from having hope that life will get better and can get better. And so I would love for you to address that um, and talk us through, first of all, why trauma causes us to lose hope and then teach us how to change our trauma and how we look at it so that we can have hope again. Yeah, hope is so essential. What's also interesting about hope is that you can't have motivation without hope. Mm. You know, like there's, there would be nothing to be motivated towards if you didn't have a hope that things could be where you want them to be, right? Like Mm -hmm. motivation is so important, but it literally relies upon hope. So trauma, what's interesting about trauma is that, so trauma is, essentially any event, and we're talking about mostly emotional trauma in this case. I mean, obviously physical traumas can happen and those can have a huge emotional impact, but we're talking about the emotional impact that this has on a person. And it's not just, you know, being sexually abused and not just, you know, being like being in a war or, you know, it's not just the extreme cases that you think of. Like trauma is literally any event, big or small, that creates a negative impact on how you see yourself in the world. You know, so in the book, I talk a lot about math trauma, just as an example, but it could be about anything. Like I've talked to people who they were told when they were a young kid that like they weren't good at writing. And so they, they avoided writing classes, uh, you know, all through high school and things like that. And eventually they decide they want to be a writer, but they realized that they had these limiting beliefs and they, then they realized, oh, it was because my cousin told me I was bad at it when I once shared in my story when I was age five. And so trauma is just an event that occurs, you know, so in the case of math, you know, it could, it could happen when you take a test and you fail. It could happen if a teacher or your parent just tells you you're not that good at this. But essentially what happens is you have an emotional reaction. It could be big or small. Like if someone cuts you off on the road, you have an emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. You could. But the thing about it is, is that there's primary emotions and then there's secondary. The primary is your initial reaction. This isn't to be judged. You know, if you're freaked out or scared or if you're hurt because someone says something mean to you, nothing judgmental about that. 
The problem with traumas is that there's no reframe. The secondary emotions are where you can think about your feelings and you can start to choose how you feel about them. In psychology, we call that emotional regulation. And it's, it's very healthy. Like, you know, so like, obviously journaling is one way to do that where you write about what happened and then you, and then you start to address the feeling like that hurt me, that, that was painful. And then you ultimately can start to think about what would be a better way of looking at this or how can, you know, how do you want to feel about this or how can you look at this differently? I mean, that's part of the reframing process, but with trauma, that second part doesn't happen. You have a negative experience and you then shove it down and you just don't think about it. So you, you suppress it and you ignore it and it becomes something that you don't, you don't address in the future. And so what happens is, is then a narrative forms. So in the case of math, let's just say something happens where you're studying for a math test and you fail. And this is where hope gets lost. Like before the episode happened, you actually were studying and learning, but something happened. You had a negative experience and not, nothing was resolved. And so what then happened is, is you formed a, a narrative. It's called a cognitive commitment. Basically the idea is, oh, I'm not good at this or, oh, I can't do this anymore. Oh, I don't like this. This hurts. And then what happened? And so then what happens with trauma is you lose hope, you lose imagination, you, use fle- you lose flexibility. And these are actually requirements for learning. And so because you've lost all those things, because you've now formed a narrative and a commitment in your mind based on the emotions you've just felt, you know, the hope comes from the commitment. The, the hope is lost from the commitment that I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this. This hurts. Because you've made that commitment, you've made that commitment to yourself because it hurt and you don't want to deal with it. And so because you've made that commitment in your mind, you now no longer have a future as it relates to math. Like it's no longer something you even want to think about, deal with. You're no longer flexible to it. You're no longer, you no longer have imagination. You're no longer willing to learn it. Instead, you're just like, I'm going to avoid this thing. Mm-hmm. And so trauma, you know, it freezes you into the, into whenever the experience happened. It's, it's crazy. Uh, and we've all had it. We've all had experiences that have been negative. What Gabor Mate said. So Gabor Mate has been a, an expert who's been studying trauma for decades and about how that leads people to addiction is that basically he's got this interesting quote where he says that trauma or sorry, he says that personality is a coping mechanism. You know, our personality is a coping mechanism to our unresolved trauma. Mm. You know, so we've, we, who we are right now, a lot of us, I would say most of us and probably all of us to some degrees, we are who we are. And our, a lot of our limiting perspectives of ourselves have been shaped by negative experiences that we haven't thought about. Because what's really interesting is this, when you have a negative experience, like let's just say myself, when I'm 11 years old, my parents get divorced. I have a huge negative experience mm-hmm. and I have an emotional experience. And usually with trauma, you, you don't talk too much about it. You know, you, you internalize it and you don't open up about it. Opening up about it is one of the crucial ways to actually free yourself from it and to start to get encouragement or support or different perspectives. But usually and often you can just bury it. And then what, you know, and there's a really good quote from Alcoholics Anonymous, but the quote is, you're as sick as your secrets, you know? Mm. So if you think if there's things you're hiding, if there's things that you've buried, whether that be things that you, that were just horrible events that happened to you or things that you're still struggling with, even if it's an addiction, as an example, if you're, if you're not opening up about it, then you're probably not going to change it. If you're keeping it to yourself, you're probably not going to change it. This is why the idea that willpower doesn't work is because you can't just overcome an addiction or you can't overcome or do the trauma thing without opening up about it. What they say about addiction is that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Hmm. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So you, but I'm, you know, obviously not all trauma leads to addiction, but it often does. 
it just leads to unhealthy coping. But ultimately, the main thing it does is, is it shatters your flexibility. It leads you to being emotionally rigid so that you're no longer willing to deal with difficult emotions. Uh, you're no longer, you know, you, you lose your imagination and you lose your hope towards the future. And everything is defined by the past. Everything is defined by that experience. Everything is viewed through the lens of that experience. Um, and so that's kind of where you get stuck. They call it a frozen personality. And so that's kind of what trauma does. It's very debilitating. Um, and we've all had it in big and small ways. Mm-hmm. And the only way out of it is, is to, to face it, to deal with it, to reframe it, to rethink it. Like you actually have. And so it's important to realize that you see it from a perspective, but you don't see it from the only perspective. So if you want, I can talk about the reframing process. I mean, where, where would you like me to go from here? No, I, I think it would be important to talk about how we, how we change and yes. how, we, how we shift from looking to the past and having that trauma define us to, I noticed, I don't know if you specifically mentioned this, but it's really the shift from past to future to, to looking at everything like, woe is me, this happened. I don't want to talk about it. I'm traumatized by it to shifting to the future. I want to change. I can be better. I can be a new person. I can overcome this. You know, it really is that change from past to future. You know what I mean? It really is. No, it fundamentally is. Yeah, so there's a really interesting idea in psychology. It's called a refractory period. And basically the refractory period is the amount of time it takes to emotionally recover from an experience. And so like, let's just say you get cut off on the road. Mm-hmm. And, and literally what you're saying is absolutely right. It, it's when you let the experience go and you can go back on with your life or go back on with what you want to be doing. You can focus back on your goals. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so if someone cuts you off on the road, you might be frustrated for like three or four minutes. And you're just like fresh, but then eventually you let it go and you say, I need to get back on with the day. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, the problem with certain events is that that refractory period can be weeks, months, years, decades. Um, and so the core point here is yes, at some point or another, you've got to decide that viewing the experience this particular way, because when you're, when you're still choosing to view it from the, from the event and you're, you're, you're making everyone else have to see it this way as well. At some point or another, you realize that the only way to change is to stop looking at it that way. And, and instead of continuing to look at it, you do have to start to make decisions about moving forward in your life. Um, and so that's when you need to start being honest about what you want. And often, the, you know, so what they say is the number one deathbed regret is, is that people didn't have the courage to be who they wanted to be, but instead they lived up to the expectations of those around them. Mm. Often, you know, we live in repetitive cycles. And so we can start showing up in a certain way, even if it's not the way we want it to. And then we just keep living up to the expectations because we're in a role and we're just in a rhythm and it's easy to, you know, one of the things that predicts personality is the role that you're in and honestly, just the situations that you're consistently in. But we all have things that we want that are different than what we have, even if it's just to let go of this thing or to move on or to get better. And so the first thing you actually need to do is just define your future self. You know, like, honestly, this is the best place. I mean, obviously going back and reframing the former events is helpful and it's needed and maybe getting help from people and telling them about your negative experiences so that you can start thinking about them differently. There are some journaling prompts that you can do, you know, like one of the, and, and they are listed in your books. Yeah. So. There's, there's literally 150 <laughs> or more <laughs> journaling prompts, but there are ways to look at the situation differently. Here's kind of the ultimate hope. And it may not feel possible at this point, but like the hope is that you can look at the past as something that's serving you and it's helping you. And that it's something that you're grateful for as weird as that sounds, even the worst things, can eventually be something that you're glad happened because 
without it, you wouldn't be able to do whatever it is you're doing. Like I tell stories of people who their children died. I mean, I tell crazy traumatic events and these people have learned to, to see the event as a, as a, as a blessing. Uh, not that it was something that they're glad they went, you know, it's, they hated it when they were going through it, but it did enable them to have a higher level of purpose for their life. And it enabled them to be able to do things that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. I mean, I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't have been able to deal and handle with five kids and three foster kids. If I hadn't have gone through the crazy stuff, I wouldn't have had as transformational of a, of a mission and been able to do what I had done if I wasn't, you know, hadn't gone through such weird things or hard things. And so you can see that the, so the, some of the hardest things you go through can be viewed as incredible lessons and opportunities. And that's ultimately a process, but something that you would want and need to do if you want to move forward in your future. If you don't, then you can continue to view it from that very negative, narrow way and continue to be stuck in your current identity. But opening up and sharing that this, is, this, this was hurtful, this was painful, but I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to let go of this. And then the, the next step is honestly to define who you want to be. And that person is different from who you are now. Maybe they don't have addictions or maybe, maybe they're moving forward towards goals. Maybe they're going to college. Um, it can be really simple. I mean, your future self could be someone just a year or even a few months down the road. They don't have to be 50 years down the road. They can be yourself next year or who you want to be by the end of 2020. Um, but just thinking about who is the person you would love to be and what, what changes would you like to make and what would your circumstances be and what would you be working towards? Um, and just giving yourself the space to be honest. I love the quote, all truths, I mean, all progress starts by telling the truth. So just admitting who you would like to be and, and the things that you would like to do differently or the goals you'd like to achieve if you weren't either worried about what other people thought or if you, then, then once you've defined it and you do need to take some time to define it, who your future self is, the next step then is to start telling people who that person is. So for example, if you're someone who has had addictions and challenges, and you're wanting to be someone who's not, and you're someone who's healthy, you know, in, in all, you know, in whatever ways, and, and you do need to take the time to define it. And by the way, your future self is someone you choose to be. It's the person you would love to see yourself as, uh, in characteristics and attributes and circumstances. The next thing you would need to do is start telling everyone around you that this is who you want to be, that this, you know, and you're not there yet. You're not your future self. They're different from you. But if you started telling everyone about it and you, and you know, openly acknowledging, this is not where I'm at right now, but this is really what I want, you know, and I haven't been this person, but this is where I want to go. And this is what I'm trying to accomplish. I mean, this, you can apply this to anything. You can apply it to overcoming addiction. I used this same process to become a professional author, telling everyone, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not a writer, but I've actually been wanting to do it for a while. And I really want to become a writer. And, and once you start telling people about your goals and about who you want to be, it makes your current identity very clear. Because now, because your identity is shaped by the stories you tell. So not only now do you see who you want to be, and you're acknowledging it, but now you're telling people who you want to be and who you're striving to be. And so now they're seeing who you actually want to be. And then you'll, then you'll start to have a, an environment and also a motivation to start acting based on your future rather than basing your whole life on the past. Mm. And, that, and that is so incredible. And, and what's crazy about imagining this future self um, is often some of the steps you need to take towards it are really scary. Like I would say a lot of them are. <laughs> yeah, because it's not who you are now. It, no. feels, it feels very scary. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is. And moving through that fear to the unknown, I mean, you can visualize it, but becoming that person is different. It's different than do, 
staying on the treadmill that you're on right now. It's stepping off the treadmill and moving on to something new and different. And because it's different, I think you talk about this in your book about how the unknown, I forget what the quote was, but something about the unknown, it always incites fear, you know? <laughs> well, it's uncertainty. What's interesting about all this is, so there's a, a quote that's not in the book, but when, when nothing is certain, everything is possible kind of thing. Um, and, and really you can't make choices, real choices without uncertainty. One of the things that keeps people stuck is that they want things to be certain. They want things to be stable. They want things to be predictable. And so they stop doing things that are outside their comfort zone. You know, your personality is very much your comfort zone. And so if you're going to be pursuing something more and different than you typically do, then you're going to be stepping in a, in a little bit of uncertainty and unpredictability. You're going to be doing things that are a little different than you typically do. And that can create a little bit of anxiety or fear. It takes courage and it yes. takes, it takes intention. So like what's, what's interesting about all this, if you really think about it, is that if you have a future self that you're seeking and striving for, and you're not perfectly doing it, but you're striving for it, what happens is on a daily basis, you're taking courageous steps and intentional steps in the direction of your future. If you're not working towards a future self, then you're literally on autopilot. You're just being the same person you were yesterday. You're just staying in a role and life's not evolving and you're not evolving. And so when you're stepping out of your comfort zone, when you're acting courageously, when you're learning new things, developing new skills and, and doing it in a way that's targeted towards your goals and towards the person you want to become, whether that's developing skills like writing, whether that's, you know, becoming more patient as a parent, whatever you're working towards, um, then you're actually living consciously. And yes, there's a little bit more of an emotional roller coaster, but emotions are actually how you change. This is actually how you become psychologically and emotionally mm -hmm. flexible. This is part of learning and it allows you to, to not be so rigid in how you see yourself. Um, when you're stuck in trauma and you're unwilling to deal with uncertainty, what you're doing is you're being very emotionally rigid. You're being black and white and you're probably being narrow in how you view yourself. You're saying, this is who I am. This is how I am. This is how the world is. But when you begin moving forward towards goals and dealing with uncertainty, dealing with complexities and challenges beyond what you've dealt with and learning how to handle them, you build confidence, you build flexibility, and that allows you to see yourself from a different possibility. You, you begin to see that you can become a powerful future self and you can do things you've never done before and you can, become, you can get better and better at dealing with stuff you've never done before. And you begin to enjoy that process. You begin to enjoy the learning process. And that's a big aspect of growing up. We do a lot of things that we've never done before when we're, you know, growing up. My, my two twins who are 15 months old, we have them going through swimming lessons right now. You know, they're going through, wow. you know, they're 15 months old because we have a swimming pool here in Florida. And like these little girls who can't even talk get dropped in the pool and they've got to figure it out. And like they're literally getting dropped in the water and having to figure out how to swim. <laughs> now they hate it. They cry and stuff like that, but they're learning how to deal with complexity and challenges and uncertainty. And, and that's really how you build flexibility as a person. And when you stop doing stuff like that, when you stop putting yourself through big challenges, when you stop trying new things, when you stop opening yourself up, then you stop learning and you stop evolving and you become kind of just caught in a, in a cycle of being who you've been. You stay in that comfort zone and your comfort zone overly solidifies. And that's why your personality stops growing. Wow. That is such an amazing insight. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, we'll have Ben talk to us about the role journaling can play in processing the past and reframing your future. How many of you out there feel like your life is chaotic, crazy, and completely awful compared to the norm? What if I were to tell you that you are normal for you? 
I am so excited to announce that my book, Normal For Me by Tamara K. Anderson is now available for purchase on Amazon. This book took me 10 years to write and I share 20 years worth of lessons learned in my life detours, including being in a car accident and having two of my children diagnosed on the autism spectrum. In this book, I share the secrets of how I made it from despair to peace with God's help. I also include a bonus diagnosis survival guide at the very end of my Normal For Me book. The diagnosis survival guide includes 12 tips to survive and thrive in tough times. Wouldn't you like to know what those are? So what are you waiting for? Grab your copy of Normal For Me today on Amazon. And we're back. I'm interviewing Dr. Benjamin Hardy about his new book, Personality Isn't Permanent, and what drove him to write this book. He has told us a lot about his own personal story from changing from a video game junkie who almost failed high school to becoming a doctor of psychology and just the whole and complete life changes that have played a part in that. So I know one of the things that you talk about a lot is journaling. You talk about journaling with processing the past. You talk about journaling when you're trying to reframe your future. Um, I know that when I was in your AMP course, I had to journal about the things that were scary to me and why I was scared of them, but it did help me realize why I was feeling the way I was about new and scary things that I was trying to do. So tell me how it is that you use your journal today to um, resolve issues that come up from your past and to help pull you forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and honestly, I use it to resolve the issues that come up every day. So mm -hmm. like just as an example, yesterday when I went home from work, because I have like an office here and I went home. So I use the journal to be intentional and I also use the journal as a learning tool. So for intentionality, I could use the journal, for example, to write that today when I go home and I'm writing about this today, when I go home, I really want to be super present with my kids. You know, there's a really good book actually called as a man thinketh. I don't know if you ever read that one way back mm -hmm. when it's fantastic. Yeah. So that book, this is why journaling is so important is because it trains your thinking. So as a, as a person, your thoughts really shape your, your life. It shapes how you see things and how it shapes your character, your circumstances. And, and so many things, I mean, if you have negative thoughts all the time, you can train them through journaling, you know, and you train them by directing your thoughts where you want them to go. That's why future self is so clear is because that's, those are the kind of thoughts you want to be having is you showing up in certain ways. And so, you know, as an example, like I could write about very simply and really ugly handwriting and sometimes in bullet points, you know, just, I want to go home today and be really present with the kids. I want to, and just thinking about from an intentional perspective, how do I want to show up? Like I want to, I want to go swimming with them and I want to play with them. And I want to like, not just sit down on the couch and look at my phone. Like I don't want to binge eat on food because I'm hungry when I go home. Like this is just literally me thinking from an intentional perspective and, and explaining why and thinking about who do I, where do I want my family to be in a year from now? Or what do we want to do? You know, thinking about trips we can do. Like you, you spend time visualizing and thinking about the things you care about, you know, and you can do that with a career, but you could also do that in the other roles of your life that really matter, such as being a parent. But then let's just say, I go home and maybe fall into some of my old habits. I can then use my journal to talk about, you know, reflecting on what happened, you know, like, okay, yesterday I 
still went and ate a big bag of chips, you know, or whatever, you know, just like literally. And, and then you can, you can talk to people about it, but you can even just by, by first addressing it, you can then think about, think about it rather than just ignoring it. And then just going through patterns, you're staying conscious of, of who you want to be and what's going on with your behavior. So I think that that's a big thing is that it allows you to be aware of what's going on and, and, and allows you to stay aware of what you're focused on, on focusing on and growing because the idea Mm -hmm. i love the idea that what you focus on expands what you focus on grows and so you want to keep that focus attention on the things that matter to you and it's easy if you're just going through day-to-days to lose focus of the things that you want to stay focused on and just to focus on whatever the next fire is you know you know whatever the whatever the busyness is that's why uh there's that quote that you know you should always keep the important above the urgent you know but life is really urgent you know like life can be urgent there's things going on and you can forget about those goals, you know, in weeks or months or years can go by and you're like, and I wasn't, I didn't ever make progress on that book. And so by writing about these things, it allows you to stay focused on the things you want to focus on and take action towards those and, uh, and move forward. And so, I mean, I, I use my journal in so many different ways. Um, I mean, recording, recording thoughts, I mean, sketching ideas for, for articles, just writing about things that I don't really want to forget. Like, I mean, uh, you know, I, I was writing about spiritually defining experiences, you know, because mm-hmm. that was, you know, a talk given in conference. Mm-hmm. And I just started writing about what are the spiritually significant experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, I use it for all sorts of things, but it's that such is- a good tool. It's such a good tool because it keeps you clear. I would say if you don't use it regularly and if you just wake up and get going, then you haven't reclaimed like your brain. You haven't reclaimed your mind and chosen where to focus it. And so it really allows you to focus where you want to focus and also get inspiration. I mean, by giving yourself just a little bit of space. And I think in the environment you do it in and where you do it and when you do it really matters. I mean, I, I love praying before I journal and asking for inspiration so that when I'm thinking, really it's just a space to think and reflect, um, but also to ponder and things like that. And, and if you're doing it with your cell phone in your hand and you're getting notifications, you're probably not going to get the insights you're looking for. So you kind of got to be mindful of the headspace you're in and the environment when you're doing it so that it can be kind of a revelatory experience. Mm. So then tips for journaling would be to set aside time to do it. I would say uh, do it every day. Start if you with can, a prayer. Even if it's five minutes. Yep, Daily. Start with a prayer. A journal about goals. You mentioned in your book that at the front of your journal, you have your goals that you're working on kind of how you see your future self. Do you read those every day? I look at it. Yeah. I think it's a good thing for me to look at before I journal because it kind of allows me to frame things. But what's so basically on the front cover of my journal, I have five questions. And so it's just a fun little snapshot and it's just on the front two pages. And there's like a question and like five bullet points, question five bullet points, but it's just a snapshot. So like the first question is where am I right now? And I just write like, what am I doing right now? You know, um, doing podcasts, working on the book launch, you know, kids are home because of COVID-19, you know, just like whatever, (laughs) whatever, whatever the situation is. And then the next question is, what are my wins from the last 90 days? You know, just like, what are the things, and this could be personal or professional, like what are the things that have happened? So one could be like finished writing the book or one could be took my kids to the motocross, you know, or just whatever is significant, you know, just personal or professional wins. Then the next question is, what are the wins that I want for the next 90 days? So what are the things I'm focusing on right now? What are the just accomplishments I'm trying to do in the next 90 days? And then the fourth question, I guess, would be, where do I want to be at the end of this year? You know, just what are like the few or three to five goals for this year? And then the last one is, where do I want to be in two or three, like in three years from now, my future self? 
But what's interesting about this, and that takes like maybe 10 minutes to write in the front of my journal, and they're really just simple and basic. But if I went back to any of my journals, um, is all I would have to do, even if it's like three or four years ago, is all I'd have to do is open up that front cover. And I basically have a snapshot of where I was as a person. I have a snapshot of where I was, what my recent like wins are from my perspective, what I was focusing on and trying to accomplish. I've got a picture of my goals and even my, my, my kind of vision. And it's funny to watch it evolve. Um, but it's nice to have that because almost like a vision board, it just re-reminds you, it re-triggers you. And it's like, oh yes, it's so nice to have your goals right in front of you because then they're top of mind. You know, it's, you don't get lost. For me, I call that strategic remembering. You know, you want your environment to trigger and remind you of your goals so that they don't get lost. You want to design an environment that helps you become your future self. And so you need your environment to reflect your future and to remind you of your future so that you're thinking about it and so that you're acting towards it. And so you're talking about it and so that people know about it. You're not ashamed of your future self. Mm -hmm. When you mentioned strategic remembering, I remember reading about in your book, you having a culture wall in your house mm -hmm. would you mind sharing what that is and how we can apply that maybe even on a mini basis to help us change the way we think have you ever seen it no i have okay. never seen your culture wall oh that's cool so culture wall is this is from a culture design company and obviously you don't need someone to create this for you you can do this yourself but this is they're basically just so this is my culture wall Oh my word, look at that. Yeah, so like these are like, there's concepts on here, like embrace your future to change your past. You know what I mean? Be, do, have. Never be the former anything. Design beats willpower. So these are just concepts. But really what it is, is it's just essentially values or, or beliefs um, that are right in front of me. Just to remind me, like one of them says, you make or break your life before 8 a.m. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there's one that says, if you're not embarrassed by who you were 12 months ago, you didn't learn enough. You know, they're just, <laughs> you know, they're just, what's funny though is, is that like, I'm at my office right now, but I have one of these at my, my residence, my house with my kids. And it's funny to hear them use these statements, you know, like a hundred percent is easier than 98%, you know? So that's really what it's about is just sharing the things, the ideas, the principles that I want I don't want to forget about and I want to be reminded of regularly, you know, and they're just, you know, you could, just, it's like putting quotes around you, you know, it's like putting quote, you know, just printing off a quote and, or having good art, you know, it's just about designing your environment to inspire you and to not lose track of where you're trying to go. Oh, that is so awesome. What I'll do is I will be sure to include some pictures of your culture wall in my show notes so that people listening to this can see what we're talking about today. But it's basically just beautiful little sayings that have been designed professionally and printed and mounted on a wall like artwork. And they're just really cute and well done. And so we'll include copies of this in the show note. And the cool thing about this concept is that you could apply it as easily as putting a sticky note on your mirror. I think you give that as an yes. example in the yeah. book. Yeah, Just, I, mean, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, think about it. You could apply it as simple as having a reminder on your phone that goes off, you know, at a certain time in the day and it says, text your, you know, text your spouse and tell them you love them. Like, I mean, you could, you can apply strategic remembering in any way, but it's really about setting up the environment so that you're consistently reminded of who you want to be because it's easy to forget and you can train your environment to support your goals. Um, and so, yeah, it's just being thoughtful about your surroundings and about how your surroundings shape you. I mean, yeah, that's, I think it's, I think it's great.
Oh, that's phenomenal. So you have been so kind in sharing with us so much from this book. And I would just highly and strongly recommend that anyone who wants to have hope and change and reframe any trauma in their life, go and get this book. There's lots of journal prompts. Personality isn't permanent. Ben, when, where can they go to order this book? Yeah. And I just want to first off, thank you. You're, you're incredibly generous, sweet, kind. I always feel very happy when I talk to you because you're just so giving. Um, yeah, you can get this book pretty much anywhere. You can get this book on Amazon, Audible, Kindle, um, kind of wherever you prefer to buy a book. And my website's benjaminhardy.com. So you can get blog posts there. Also, if you buy the book and then go to my website, so you'll see if you go to benjaminhardy.com, we actually give away three free online courses for anyone who buys the book. Course that deep dives further into the book, like the science, the methods, the prompts, just so that you can actually apply it in different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a journal course, journal mastery course that a lot of people have taken that you would enjoy. And then there's a blogging course for anyone who's interested in blogging. Um, we give away, we're giving away all these things for people who pre-order the book or just oh buy the gosh. book, honestly. Wow. So it's not just a book. You also get three free courses, so you may as well yeah. just go buy it. <laughs> yeah, but the, the main thing for me is is the book. I mean. I think that, you know, as you said, I really think that this book has a lot of potential to help you, but there are obviously other bonus and bonuses and stuff, but yeah. Anyways. Yeah. If, if anything made sense in this interview, definitely, definitely go and check out the book. I really think it'll help you in getting to where you want to go in your life. Awesome. One last question before we go. Perfect. Um, what is a favorite verse of scripture? that has become meaningful to you through all of your challenges in life and as you push forward to try to become your new, better self? Yeah. So you, you, you mentioned this to me at the beginning, and I'm glad you did because it, it allowed me to think about it. But the, the scripture that I like, and it's really relevant to everything we were saying, was it, it's 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And the scripture says, for now we see through a glass darkly, kind of just talking about our view, our, our perspective. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. The reason I really like this is because I think it's really important to realize that your future self is going to see the world very differently than you see it today. Um, your you know, that quote is very true that we don't see the world as it is, but as we are. And, and because that's true, you shouldn't overly, you shouldn't be so firm in your current views, even of yourself. This is one of the reasons why I really don't like labels. Uh, and overly be, being so attached to your current identity is because in the future, you're going to see things better. You know, right now you see through a glass darkly. Right now your perspective is flawed. And if you, and when I hear people say, I am X, you know, I'm an introvert. Like they're being so definitive about themselves, even though they see through a glass darkly, even themselves. And so why I like the, you know, the research and the ideas on, you know, the idea that your future self is a different person is that when you, when you own that and when you get clear on your future self, then you can be, you still know who you are today, but you're less firm on that because you know that who you are today is not the finished product. Um, and you don't have to hold so tight to your current views or your current self because you're actually seeking a better self. And that actually allows the change process to happen so much faster because then you're not so caught in a status or an identity that you're overly trying to defend it. Uh, when people have an identity, 
you know, like a label, for example, that they've really attached to, their whole focus is trying to confirm their current self, their current bias, their current label. And that really stops them from growing. And so it's so much better to focus on the future self and, and also making the glass a little bit less dark, Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, and, growing and, and, your perspective. Yes. And trusting that God sees that future version of yourself and that he can help all these past things help you become that, right? Trust. And I think that's the hardest thing when we're going through trauma is saying, okay, God, I trust you even though I absolutely hate what I'm going through right now. Yeah. You know, I trust that all these things will work together for my good, as it says in Romans, that it will make me a better person. I trust that you got this, even though I am so lost and broken right now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I would even say, yes, yes, yes. I mean, I think my 15 month old daughters can attest when they're in the water that, uh, (laughs) that they're not enjoying it in the moment, but in the future, they're going to be really glad they can swim you know, and with trauma, it's, it's, you don't even care about swimming because you're not even going to, you're not even going to entertain the idea of learning how to swim. You're not going to entertain the idea of touching the water. So swimming is not no longer a possibility because you've just eliminated that option for yourself because you're not willing to even touch the water. Um, and so you end up limiting your future because you become unwilling to deal with things. Um, But I think also the idea that we see through the glass darkly is also looking at our traumas, that we don't see them as God sees them. And maybe we could ask, how would God see this situation? Or how would God see that former event? You know, in the book, I say, how would your future self see it? Or how would they, what would your future self say to your former self? You know, what would you even say? What would, what would me, the 32-year-old version of Ben, say to the 11-year-old version who was going through that pain of my parents' divorce? Would I, you know, because my 11 year old version was losing hope. Mm-hmm. He had no perspective. But what would I say to him? Or what would God say to him? Or what would someone else say to him? And that's a, a big way of reframing is because right now you see your past darkly, but there's better views of it. You know, your past isn't, your past is mostly a meaning in a story. And eventually that story will change. Eventually it'll be a redemption story. It'll be a story about how you used whatever happened for your good and that God transformed it into something better. And so that's the goal is that the past is a redemption story and that it's light. It's not darkness. Even the darkest abyss you've gone through, it's something very beneficial and something that you end up being grateful for because it brought you closer to God, because it helped you to go to that next place, which you wouldn't have been able to do before. Mm. Oh, Ben, you are amazing to talk to. Seriously. I wish I could have you on like once a quarter. (laughs) (laughs) We can do it again. Just schedule with Connie. Let's do it again. Oh, you are so amazing. Thank you so much for being so generous and sharing your personal story of transformation. As I was thinking about your book last night as I finished it, I thought, I like your title, Personality Isn't Permanent, but if I could personally give it a title, title. it would be Transform Your Trauma. because it teaches you how to do that. And we did not get a chance to super deep dive into the steps. That just gives you a little hook as to why you should read this book. But I love the hope that it gives that we can transform, that we can change, that we don't have to stay a caterpillar forever. We can become a butterfly. It's just amazing. So thank you for sharing this positive, 
thought that we all can improve, that we all can change. It's just been amazing. Thank you. Yeah, chapter three is called Transform Your Trauma. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Maybe that's but, uh, why I... <laughs> but but uh, no, you're right. That would be a great, that would be a great title. To me, that was one of the main messages of the it book. It really so is. It's, it's, it's a full, it's, it's, it's a crucial message of the book. Mm-hmm. So thank yeah. you so much for reading it. Oh, it, it's been a pleasure. And I can't wait to get the actual physical copy in my hands. <laughs> I can't wait for you to have a hardcover as well. <laughs> thank you, Ben, for being with us today and for sharing your story of hope. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show. I know that there are many of you out there that are going through a hard time, and I hope you found things that have been useful today as you listen to the podcast. If you would like to access the show notes from today's podcast, visit my website. It is storiesofhopepodcast.com. That is where you'll find favorite quotes from today's episode and shareable memes. And those are fun because you can share them with your friends on social media. You will also find the links mentioned throughout today's episode, so you don't have to remember what those were. And also all the tips that were shared. Sometimes tips are shared so much throughout an episode, you forget what were those great things. So go to the show notes, storiesofhopepodcast.com to look up these fantastic resources. You know, if someone kept coming to mind during today's episode, perhaps that means that you should share this with them. Maybe there was a story shared or a tip that they really, really need to hear. So go ahead and share this episode with them. May God bless you, especially if you are struggling with hope to carry on and with the strength to keep going when things get tough. Remember to walk with Christ and he will help bear that burden. Above all else, Remember, God loves you.